Hello, everyone. Today is January the 5th, 2022, and it's time for today's COVID-19 update. So just like yesterday, I'm coming in half an hour early uh, before the actual government news conference so we can go over the updated data that we were promised, but they didn't have released in time for uh, our previous broadcast. I'm waiting to hear back from a couple of people to see if they would wish to uh, tune in today and give us a watch or a listen. As well today, we are broadcasting on our brand new Twitch channel. So let me see if I can bring that up here. Uh, there we go. So if you are on Twitch, you can follow us at uh, Twitch TV or sorry, twitch.tv slash TLDR press. So we're going to be testing out a bunch of different platforms to see uh, which one works the best and uh, see, you know, what, uh, what we can get up to as well. Um, we are also streaming on Twitter and Facebook as well as YouTube today. So we're, uh, we're currently going on them all. I think my kitten wants to come up. <laughs> so today I wanted to go over the updated numbers. Um, the number of active cases is climbing up there. This is the highest it's been at any other time during the pandemic. So the active cases right now, um, as of yesterday, we have... 6,439 cases. And please keep in mind that these are only, uh, according to the government, these are an estimation. As well, we have updated hospital numbers. This number is what's important. Um, in hospital, we currently have 40 people in hospital and five in the intensive care unit. Now, yes, 40 people might appear to be a lot, but with the numbers of active cases skyrocketing the way they are, that number being so low is actually a really good thing, like I said yesterday. Um, according to the Premier on the 3rd, when he made the statement, a large portion of those people that are in hospital are fully vaccinated. So that's something else we should really uh, think about as well. Um, 
let me bring up the numbers here again. So this chart here displays cases by vaccination status since March 15th. We saw the same chart yesterday. The only problem is if you look down here at the bottom of the page, this number hasn't been updated in five days. They have refused to either refuse to or just simply aren't going to bother updating the information anymore. It's going to be very, very hard to tell what's going on with the government just not updating key information that a lot of people would like to have access to. And uh, so let's go back to the vaccine information here. The percentage of overall population that is vaccinated. Again, this number has not changed since the 24th of December. So I don't know what's going on. I definitely hope that these numbers change. I hope that they update it. I'm not sure why they're they're not updating this information. This is something that we need to know. So we as residents of Nova Scotia can make an informed decision on what's happening in our own communities. So let's talk about what's happening in our communities. As of yesterday, the new uh, lab positive cases for Nova Scotia were 1,020 cases. The Eastern zone was 182, Central zone 544, the Western zone 153, and the Northern zone 141. These numbers are what we need to take in, into account. The, the province is a very large place. We have just under a million people in Nova Scotia. So we have to put these numbers into proportionality. We have to look at how many people are in our area, okay? Where I live, you, you can walk outside, you can walk down the street. Um, you'll probably very rarely see another person walking on the street. If you're driving in your car, you might pass another vehicle. There's just nobody here. But if you're downtown, that's a very big difference. You have to look at the environment you're in. Should you wear a mask when you're outside? I would say if you're around a large group of people and you feel more comfortable doing that, then definitely do that. But if you're alone by yourself in an area where there's nobody around, there's no need for it. Um, a, a good example is my wife and I were discussing whether or not we should move from being in a very rural area into something more urban or more downtown setting. Since the whole COVID-19 pandemic has started, we are extremely happy that we live far away from any large urban area. You, you can see this by looking at the, the central zone. You know, Halifax, it's a city of a population, you know, around, you know, over, over 300,000, around 400,000 people. Um, they have the largest number of cases in Halifax. They always have. Uh, they also have, you know, the greatest population density in the area. So that's something to take into account. You know, just be aware of your surroundings. And remember, if you see somebody without a mask in your outdoors, you don't need to be afraid of them. Look after yourself, protect yourself how you see fit. 
you know, don't be, don't be nasty to others is what I'm getting at. Um, other data that we have to look at, they haven't changed the, uh, any information here on the, the death toll yet, which is extremely good. So, uh, we, we don't have to worry about massive amounts of, uh, of, of people dying. So that is another good thing to, uh, to look at. So I'm going to switch back over here and, uh, let me see here in the, in other news, this is where it's going to get good. So, so let me switch the window here. Give one moment. In other news, we have Premier Ian Rankin, who is going to be stepping down as leader of the Liberal Party of Nova Scotia. It is, you know, it's it's kind of a sad thing for him. You know, he's in he's in my age group. And yes, I personally was very critical of uh, Premier, former Premier Rankin, uh, you know, full disclosure. Um, but let's see what he has to say. So the former Premier says last year was a roller coaster for all of us. I definitely agree. He says, personally, my life went through many changes. Given the pace of 2021 and all of the changes this holiday season, um, was my first chance to slow down, pause, and reflect. Makes sense. I had time to spend with my new child. Congratulations, uh, Mr. Rankin. It's always good to be a dad. My wife, and to think about what comes next for us. I am grateful for the time we had and the memories we created during our first Christmas as a family. After having that time to reflect, I have decided that the best path forward for the Nova Scotia Liberal Party is to step down and make room for a new leader. So he's he got a really bad rap. I mean, yes, I was critical of of Rankin because my personal view is that he was not fully prepared for what was going to happen. Stephen McNeil stepped down. The right thing to do would have appointed him as leader and then called an election to see if he could prove to us, the people of Nova Scotia, that he was fit to be the leader of this province. And sadly, that didn't happen. You add the economic downturn because of the pandemic. You add the pandemic itself. You add all of those factors into it, and former Premier Rankin never really had a chance. I mean, he he could have done so much better than what he did. He could have done so much worse than what he did. But he just, he didn't have the confidence of the people of this province. And that was very apparent in the election. Unfortunately, what he proposed to do in the province, the people of Nova Scotia rejected, they voted conservative, and we basically got the same thing. So that is that is definitely something of concern. 
the former premier goes on to say, our caucus and party are full of amazing, diverse MLAs, dedicated volunteers, and hardworking staff. And given the outcome of last year's election, oh yeah, we believe that all of you need to have a say in how our party moves forward. That's what I just said. I will stay on as leader until a new leader is chosen and will remain neutral in the leadership process. I believe staying on as leader until a new one is chosen is the best path. Uh, best, yeah. Sorry, tongue twister, is the best way forward. I would completely agree with him. To leave the party leaderless would be a bad decision all the way around. I want to see a strong Nova Scotia, uh, Nova Scotia Liberal Party under new leadership. And I look forward to continuing to be a part of this caucus. So he does have a lot more here to say, um, you know, basically about what the challenges are and the work that has to be put into it. Like I said, he... You know, even though I'm not a member of the Liberal Party anymore or I didn't vote for him, I understand as a human being where he's coming from. And regardless of your political affiliation, sure, criticize the man for how bad you think he did. Sure, praise the man for how well you think he did. But at the end of the day, you have to acknowledge that coming into this when he did it was a really, really bad move. He was thrust into the middle of a huge problem and he just didn't have the experience or the skills necessary to, to deal with it. So something else I, I want to address. I'm just going to check and see if the Nova Scotia government has their, their update. No, I'm not there yet. So something else I want to address. So I will turn that off here for a second. I will bring up a new tab. Now keep in mind, I am, I have extra monitors coming, so we won't have to do this anymore. Okay. So what you're about to see on the screen, um, it's going to follow in with what I'm talking about next. This is a picture from a school that I will not disclose. It is from Nova Scotia. It is not in my area, thankfully. The conversation has come up about cleanliness in schools. And if you're listening to the, the podcast later, um, you're definitely going to have to go and, 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 and go ahead. Uh, you're going to want to skip about 15 minutes into the recording to see this. I, I'm not sure how to describe this. Now I have protected the name of the school and I've protected the name of the teacher who actually shared this, um, this is a ventilation grate in one of our Nova Scotia schools. Uh, 
we can have all the arguments we want about proper ventilation, but we've had issues with ventilation in our school since I was a kid. Okay. That's <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's a long time ago. Um, this is not a, a problem with there not being enough ventilation. This is a problem of they're simply not maintaining the systems that we already have. What you're seeing is a pile of just filth, absolute filth that has been allowed to build up. I, I don't even know how long that buildup is from. I mean, that that's just disgusting. Anybody who can actually see it, you can see how disgusting this actually is. Um, this is something that needs to be cleaned on a regular basis. They need to clean it and they need to check it on a regular basis. I mean, check it once a month. If that's all you want to do, just climb up there, check it once a month. If it's dirty, then clean it. If it's getting really super dirty all the time, then we need to look at fixing this problem. Because I can tell you right now, children in this province should not have to go to school with that type of filth filtering their air. I mean, you can argue about air ventilation for COVID-19 all you want. My question is, what garbage is in that dust? What's in there? That, you know, skin cells, hair, um, God only knows what type of other stuff could be in there. And if that's a, an intake vent, well, at least it's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's sucking things in. If it's, if it's a, uh, an exhaust vent or if it's a, you know, a, a clean air return, I don't know which vent this is, but if this is air blowing back out for our children to breathe, that stuff right there that you're seeing on your screen, your children are breathing that in. And if that's what's being cleaned out of the air, like if, if that's the, the intake vent, what's the quality of the air in the school to leave something that absolutely filthy? <sighs> wow. Getting a little, uh, <laughs> getting a little heated there. Wow. Whew. So we've got to, we're getting about 12 minutes here. So I'm going to turn that one off and then I'm going to bring up a, another window share here for you. So let me see here. Where is it? Uh, there we go. Now, part of dealing with these issues is we have to, we have to remember there are a couple of people in charge. You have at the top of the pyramid, you have the premier. Okay. He, he runs the show. And then you have the, the Minister of Education, right? And then you have, you know, Dr. Strang, our Chief Medical Officer. Those are the three people with all the power, okay? But who else has to deal with this stuff? Parents like myself and teachers. Um, I was doing some research this morning to find out what they were saying about ventilation and I noticed a little something 
I noticed something odd. Now, to collect information, I follow other journalists. I follow other news agencies. I follow pretty much everybody that sits in the Nova Scotia legislature. I follow everyone. Just to, you know, to keep up to date on it. So this is what I found concerning. This is the president of the Nova Scotia Teachers Union. He says, and I quote, as the public voice of a profession that's 75% female, two of the last three premiers and the CMOH, all men, have objectively refused to listen to the voices and to their voices, sorry, and dismissed their concerns as silly slash groundless. The disregard felt by largely female professionals feel is 100% real. Hashtag Nova Scotia Poly. So to me, that is, that, that's a bit, uh, that's a bit of a, an excuse. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, the, the ventilation problem in the schools, a lot of these problems around ventilation, they've been pre-existing now for quite literally decades. Trying to say that these problems aren't being fixed because most of the teachers are female, that is, that's a very bad false framing of the situation. Part of what I want to do with TLDR Press is hold public officials and corporate media to account for what they say, to check the, the framing of the story. Are they framing it neutrally? Are they framing it with a bias? What type of story does their commentary tell? So the president of the Nova Scotia Teachers Union is trying to assert that because the premier happens to be a man and Dr. Strang happens to be a man, that he's not listening, or sorry, they are not listening to the teachers because the teachers are women. I mean... That's, that's some very serious projection of, uh, that, that's some very serious projection there. So my suggestion to, uh, Paul here is put your money where your mouth is, step down, give up your position of power as a man and allow a woman to take over the position. Now, what started his commentary? We go, we go back here. There's a comment from uh, Ali. Um, she says, that's a fair point to raise and would argue that my point was we can ask these questions without insinuating that the chief medical officer of Nova Scotia regards us as hysterical simpletons. Where did this come from, you ask? Well, let's continue to go back in history. This is important. In order to understand when you see a quote from someone, 
You have to understand where it's coming from. So let's continue to go back in the conversation. We see here a reply from uh, Paul again, talking about whose responsibility it is. So let's scroll up into this conversation. Okay. Again, it's a conversation he's having with Allie here. She says, what a disappointing tweet. It's absolutely important we continue to hold public health and Nova Scotia government accountable. However, these accusations are hyperbole and entirely unfair. Ventilation is Nova Scotia education. You see here it popped up. Nova Scotia education and early childhood development job, not Dr. Strang's. And yes, they've let us down. Also, it's premiers. So let's go back to the original controversy here. Why the president of the Nova Scotia Teachers Union is blaming sexism for everything. The Nova Scotia Parents for Public Education says, this is why we question the decisions. Dr. Dr. Strang can hold Nova Scotia government to account on this. Instead of treating parents like hysterical and melodramatic simpletons, Tim Houston can pledge to do better instead of upholding the inaction of the two previous premiers. Now, fact check. This part right here, hysterical and melodramatic simpletons, that is clearly the opinion of the person who actually wrote the tweet. I don't know who's in control of the account, but that's that's the opinion. That's not a statement of fact. That's an opinion. And yes, the premier can be held to do better. The premier can have them do better if he so chooses. Unfortunately, it's not likely that he will. Just one second here. Here we go. Now, the two previous premiers, you know what? It's not their fault either. It's the fault of the premier of Nova Scotia, regardless of who holds the office. It's the fault of the conservative party. It's the fault of the liberal party. It's the fault of the new Democrats. They are all to blame for what's going on. They're all at fault here. So let's see what sparked all of this. Dr. Robert Strang from someone who calls themselves Counselor Smilemore. Oh boy, I'm sure that'll go over well. Dr. Robert Strang had the audacity to, uh, to say, okay, grammar, to say school ventilation cannot be improved overnight. That is factually correct. You, you can't improve this stuff overnight. It takes time. It has been over 650 days. Overnight, eight hours. 650 days, 15,500 hours. I'm not going to check the math on that one, but we are approximately two and a half months away from the two-year anniversary of the start of the pandemic here in Nova Scotia. It started, what was it, middle of March, 
2020 uh, when the first lockdown came in. Um, if you want Nova Scotians to trust the science, do not gaslight us to hide the government lack of care. Now, this is obviously the opinion of that person. Uh, whoever wrote this. But they are, let me see here, close that there. They are correct. The government needs to be held accountable. And if Dr. Strang says ventilation's an issue, as the chief medical officer of this province, you know, if he can tell you that you're not allowed to leave your community, if he has that authority to tell you, you can't leave your community, you're not allowed to leave the province, you're not allowed to come into the province, you're not allowed to go to a restaurant and eat a salad without having vaccination proof. If he's allowed to do that, if he has the authority, then Dr. Robert Strang has the ability to say, enough. Ventilation in schools was already bad. We currently have a pandemic. And this is a public health emergency. Get it done and get it done now. So, I mean, Dr. Strang, Mr. Premier, the ball is in your court. Either you take responsibility for the problem or you keep passing the buck. You just keep pushing it to someone else. But this type of behavior from our elected officials is not, well, I, sh I shouldn't say elected officials, Nova Scotia Teachers Union, those are, those are people elected by the teachers. So when I go all the way back here and, and I see what the leadership at the teachers union is saying, I think teachers of this province, you know, if your classrooms are bad, you have to say something. If the ventilation is bad, you have to say something. But having the president of the Nova Scotia Teachers Union completely ignore everything and use identity politics and an argument based in sexism is a very lowbrow way of dealing with things. So, Mr. President, if you're watching this, and I know you're probably not, my suggestion to you, step down. If you can't make an argument based in logic and you have to resort to sexist accusations, you're not the person that we want to see leading the Nova Scotia Teachers Union. Okay. Hang on here. I have an update. One second. They are coming in. I will switch over. Quick, quick, quick. There we go. Hang on here. Chief Medical Officer of Health for Nova Scotia. Go ahead, Premier. Thank you, Tina. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today, we're okay, going to talk about schools. We we're going to talk about boosters. And we're going to talk about uh, hospitalizations. So let's start with uh, hospitalization. There are 45 uh, Nova Scotians in hospital with their admissions related to COVID. 
Five of the 45 were hospitalized before this uh, Omicron outbreak. Um, of those who are in the hospital due to COVID, eight are in the ICU, so 45 and eight. Um, the average length of stay of a COVID patient in hospital is 5.4 days. The average age, uh, the age range, I guess, of those in hospital days, is not bad. from 26 years old to 98 years old, with the average being 70 years old. And of those in, in hospital, okay. 68, 69% um, are vaccinated to some degree. No, no children are in Wasn't hospital really in this clear. province at this time. Which leads me to, to schools. We will be delaying the return to in-person school by one week to January 17th. Okay, Online learning uh, will start on January 10th. Schools will remain open for students who use the learning centers. This, uh, this uh, delay, this one-week delay, was an extremely difficult decision. No, the best place for our children is in school. Uh, we've been here before, and our own history in Nova Scotia with COVID uh, shows that our schools are safe. That said, we believe that no, with we this one week, before, government Mayor. can take steps to increase public confidence even further. Um, and since we can do that, we should do that, and we will do that. So with this one week, while online learning is happening, we will work to address four themes of concerns uh, that we've heard. The first is around ventilation. There are 71 oh. schools uh, across the province that can do with increased uh, improvements to the ventilation systems. This issue has been uh, sitting on desks for years. We're going to pick it up and we're going to deal with it right now. Uh, yesterday, we authorized the purchase of ventilation units for classrooms in those 71 schools. We've been told that many, if not all, of these systems can be in place late next week. The second, the second issue is around masks. Uh, it's my hope that when children uh, show up for in-person learning, there are three-ply masks available to every one of them and possibly even sitting on their desks waiting for them. So we use this time to, to try to get that done. Uh, the, third, the third theme of concerns is around testing and test kits. Um, tests are in high demand nationally. Um, they're hard to come by. Um, but we're working on it. Um, it's my hope that a new shipment of tests that was ordered quite some time ago, uh, that it arrives and is distributed uh, to schools and available, again, available and waiting for, for each and every student when they arrive at school. So that's, that's, in, that's a work in progress. Uh, hopefully a week from now we'll have, we'll have more clarity on that. And the oh, fourth we uh, we have the text uh, theme of concern that we heard is um, just around the communication procedures. So. Uh, we use this additional week to firm up and properly communicate procedures for things uh, like who to notify when there's an illness. Uh, there will be COVID in schools. Everyone should take precautions knowing that there's lots of COVID around the province. Uh, but so these these steps that the government will take will make school will make the um, a safe school system even safer. So uh, teachers and staff, you will be safe at work. Parents, your children will be safe at school. And students, you will be returning to a wonderful in-person learning environment surrounded by people that have your best interests at heart. Um, that Those are all true. The best place for our children is in school and government will do its work on these four items and our schools will be open. And I ask that we work together to remove any remaining question marks that still exist. 
because the, the, the brutal reality in this province is that for some kids, school is the place where they are safest. Uh, they're safest at school. That's, it's sad, but it's true. And the reality for many children in this province um, is, is particularly Why as we move into the depths of winter, statement? is that school is the place where they are most warm. Again, that's sad and it's hard to imagine for many of us, but it's true. And, and the reality for many children is that, is that school is where they get food. It's heartbreaking and it's a terrible reflection on our society, but we can't ignore it. Uh, not to mention the socialization that takes place in school. All of these things uh, weigh heavily on me as we, as we push the start of the school year, of the return to school back by one week. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough decision knowing, knowing all these factors, so I apologize. Um, I also know that every time we change the school calendar, we traumatize those families who don't have the means to access childcare. So traumatize? We, we must also remember um, that schools are as safe as their communities. Any steps that can be taken to protect communities, protect our schools. When those who can work from home or can slow down do, they're doing their part to slow the spread. And slowing the spread helps keep communities safe. And keeping communities safer allows kids to return to school. All of us have to be uh, proactive in how we prevent ourselves from getting sick, but also how we prevent transmission to others. So people working from home or our other community restrictions that are in place, they're not inconsistent with schools being open. In fact, they're very consistent. The more we do to keep communities safe, the more we are doing to give our children the opportunity to be in school where they want to be and where they should be. Um, I'm very passionate they, they about schools. They should be in school, I agree. Uh, but next, let's talk about uh, boosters. As of today, over 42% of the public that's um, eligible at 30 years old uh, and, and eligible for a booster has either already received their booster or has their appointment booked. Um, so that's not an insignificant number, um, but it's not 100% either. I realize that. Booster, Yesterday, uh, 12,600 boosters went into arms. This is a, this is a new record since July. There's work to be done for sure in getting the boosters out there, but it is being done. Um, if, if you didn't get an appointment or um, didn't get an appointment as early as you would like, keep checking back. We're opening more appointments daily and there is enough vaccine for every Nova Scotian who wants one and we're, we're working hard to get that to you. We have large clinics now at the Halifax Forum and we're opening a clinic in Wolfville next week. Uh, on January 17th, Beautiful. we will open large clinics in Truro and Dartmouth starting on the 10th. Some COVID testing centers will offer vaccines by appointment. And, and I talked about this last week and kind of the split split shifts. So th those we hope to have those in Truro, New Glasgow, uh, Cumberland, Anaganish, Sydney, Berwick, Yarmouth. Uh, and the testing site in Digby uh, will come on board in a couple weeks. So uh, we're, there's a lot of work being done on the boosters. So please be patient. Um, I do want to speak directly to Cape Bretoners. I know there is a lot of anxiety in Cape Breton over testing. We hear you. There is an incredible amount of work being done to meet the need. Capacity has been added in Sydney, along with more, rap uh, more rapid testing kits. Um, we had a testing center open in New Waterford today. Uh, we, one will open in Glace Bay tomorrow. I'm just going to pause it here for a quick second. Um, when he mentions testing capacity in uh, Cape Breton, if you look at the demographics of Nova Scotia, 
we have three major population centers in the province. The Halifax region, which is, of course, the bulk of the population. But outside of Halifax, we have the Annapolis Valley and Cape Breton. Those are the three largest population centers in this province. So yes, testing facilities and clinic facilities in Cape Breton are extremely important because outside of where I am here in the Annapolis Valley or the HRM where he is, it is the, it's the other major population center. That's extremely important. Tomorrow, uh, Sydney Mines member two plus mobile units be on the ground hopefully by Friday. So again, there's a, there's a lot of work to be, that's being done there. So thank you to the incredible work of the uh, Cape Breton Family Resource Center. Joanna, I know you and your team have been wonderful partners working tirelessly to get these kits out, and I thank you for that. Um, before I turn it over to Dr. Strang, uh, let, me just, let me just say to, to Nova Scotians, I, I share your frustration, um, but I, I do want to say this. Seeing the professionalism and the dedication of the people working so tirelessly to keep us all safe, I have incredible confidence in the plans we're putting forward. I trust public health. Uh, the plans that we share with you are really developed by high plans. quality people that are using the best information available. Where things need to be updated and changed, we will adapt. You've seen that. Um, but I have every confidence in saying that the plans that we are following, the plans we are sharing with you, are the best possible plans. Nova Scotians have been incredible uh, throughout this pandemic. You've set an example for the rest of the country. Let's keep doing it. Uh, Dr. Chang, I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Thanks very much, Premier. Uh, good afternoon, oh, good everyone. Give him the, full uh, the Omicron variant uh, continues to create challenges uh, here in Nova Scotia, across the country, and in many other parts of the world. Uh, there's no doubt we are right in the thick of, of the Omicron wave at this time. We've said all along that we have two main goals, uh, you say the Omicron especially with this wave. wave. Okay. First and foremost wave. is to protect the most <laughs> vulnerable people from severe disease and hospitalization. Uh, and so far, that seems to be uh, what we're seeing. Um, and the second is to protect the healthcare system and ensure it can continue to operate uh, effectively. Uh, and that is where we're, we're seeing some real challenges now. Uh, Omicron is having a significant impact on our healthcare workforce, uh, healthcare facilities, long-term care, home care, emergency services, and as a result, access to the care and delivery of many services. Our hospitals are capacity. Now for Nova Scotians, that means waiting too long for care or having long-awaited tests or procedures canceled. I'm not saying this to scare anyone, but if you oh, are experiencing sure an emergency, you will get care. Okay. I know that TLDR Press is supposed to be, I want it to be opinion-free, Okay. I want TLDR press to be something where people can go and get just the facts, but I have to step in here and make it, uh, make a notation. He said that the hospital system is over capacity. A few days ago, we weren't at risk for that. So, you know, a few days ago we were at 35 and now we're at 40 and we're over capacity. Um, you know, a few days before that, we were at 15. 
the entire problem with the argument that Dr. Strang just presented here is that he's suggesting and telling you, don't be afraid. I agree, don't be afraid, because as he states, you will get the care that you need. Several years ago, and this is my this is my own personal personal story. Um, several years ago, before the time of the pandemic, you know, in in the before times, I took my family, and we went on a road trip down to a nice beach on the south shore. Um, those of you might know it's called Bayswater Beach, nice white sand. I used to go there all the time as a child. Um, we took, you know, I, I took my family. I contacted a friend. Uh, he brought his family and, and the kids, they, they played in the beach. But on the way down, and I will always remember this, on the way down to the beach, what did we hear? We heard that the hospitals in this province were closing. We heard that emergency rooms we're having an issue. Just one second. Emergency rooms across the province were shutting down because of a staffing shortage. Okay. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was around half a dozen hospitals. So half a dozen emergency rooms that weekend in Nova Scotia were shut down because there was no staff. And that was... Hmm. I'm going to say either 2017 or 2018. Now I I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. Strang, but if you're going to say we're at capacity, okay, we should never be at capacity. And if 40 COVID-19 patients is putting the Nova Scotia healthcare system to be over capacity, that's a problem that is completely unacceptable. And that's a problem that should have been fixed decades ago. The problem that he's talking about with being over capacity, that's a problem that has been ignored by consecutive governments, one right after another, regardless of who's in power, because they don't want to fix the problem. So my apologies for injecting a bunch of uh, personal opinion in there, but He's supposed to be the chief medical officer of this province. That's his job. And trying to use the pandemic as an excuse to say, well, we're over capacity. Sorry, Dr. Strong. We've been having these issues for decades. So let's get back and uh, hear what he has to say. Oh, <laughs> wrong window. <laughs> But if your health concern is not urgent, please at this time do not go to an emergency department. Visit your family doctor or walk-in clinic or, or use uh, the 811 telehealth line to family. help get direction. The reality is... I got to pause this again. Now, if, if you have a medical problem in Nova Scotia and it isn't serious, then yeah, you know, go to a clinic, see your family doctor. Here's the problem. How many Nova Scotians don't have a doctor? You know, how, how, how many don't?
you know, let, let's uh, let's look. Oh, look at that. Let's look that up. Let's see how many Nova Scotians don't have a family doctor. So, according to a news article here that I'm reading, uh, let me see here. I won't. Uh, I won't change the actual video. Number of Nova Scotians on family doctor waitlist hits record high. This is from CBC Nova Scotia. Um, published in July 9th, 2021. So it's it's not that old. And this is here. Um, it's all-time high record. As of July 1st, more than 69,000 people were on the wait list. Prior to the pandemic, the wait list had peaked at 59,000 in November 2018 before falling to 47,056 people or about 5.1% of the population. So according to the CBC, as of Canada Day last year, there were nearly 70,000 people that didn't have a family doctor in this province. 70,000. So another part of what TLDR Press is, is to look at the statements made by officials like Dr. Strang and say, okay, what is the the context, okay? He can say, go check your family doctor. See what your family doctor has to say. Consult with your family doctor. 70,000 people, according to the CBC. I spoke to a, to a source who I, I can't identify, um, but he does work in the medical field here in Nova Scotia. And I mentioned how many people were waiting. And he says the estimated number of people waiting is much higher than what has been published. I'm going to believe him on that because he, he does work in a particular field where he would have knowledge of that. Um, I won't make a statement of fact on that because I, like I said, I don't know, but according to the article here, um, yeah, almost 70,000 people don't have a family doctor. So what are Nova Scotians that don't have a doctor supposed to do? You know, Dr. Strang says, go to a clinic. Well, we, we had a clinic here in, in town. It's, it's closed. It's gone. Um, I think they moved, uh, they, they moved somewhere else. If I'm not mistaken, I think they did. I'll, I'll have to double check on that. So let, let's go back and uh, continue listening. Oh, wrong window again is there's very little flex in our healthcare system right now when we're asking everyone to help support the teams who are doing everything they can do to ensure people get the care that they need. So extending restrictions that are currently in place uh, to January 31st is a necessary and important step to continue to slow down virus transmission. It also gives a couple of weeks after children are back in school to monitor how that's going along with the spread in communities to determine what our next steps might need to be. But please remember that the restrictions only take us so far and only work if everyone follows them. It's also critical that we each do our part, closely follow personal protection measures to slow the spread of, the var of this variant, and then that includes getting vaccinated. Many people are questioning the does. vaccine, but I need to be clear. The protection we have from our very high level of vaccine coverage is what is 
keeping us as safe as possible, as safe as we are right now. I don't even want to think about what Omicron would look like if we didn't have vaccination. So he's talking about how safe we are. Earlier in the pandemic, they said that we had to reach a level of 75% of the population being fully vaccinated to reach something called herd immunity. So the thing with the vaccines are the science on the vaccines, it's, it's changing all the time. There's new information coming out. There's new studies all the time. If we didn't have the, the vaccines, that's a very good question. Where would we be? Um, because right now we're seeing a huge increase of people who are already vaccinated getting infected with Omicron. You know, we're, we're seeing people that are fully vaccinated. They're, they're still getting COVID-19. It's not nearly as serious, you know, but Omicron isn't nearly as serious either. Um, that's what the data says. That's not me making that statement of fact. That's, that's what the data says. That's what the government's science says. So it's, it's one of those things where he's, he's speculating and we don't want to speculate because at the, I got to think back here at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a researcher in the UK Royal Institute of Science or something. I'd, I'd have to double check the story. But he had estimated that over 2 million people would have died in the first few months of the pandemic in the United States alone. And pretty much everybody made their assumption on that. And we're nearing two years of the pandemic. And the Americans, well, I, I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're doing. So we'll, uh, We'll continue here. So like the virus is evolving and changing, uh, so too must our response to the pandemic. And we need to look at some, uh, some clear uh, and honest facts. We've been at this for almost two years and there is a lot of uh, COVID fatigue and frustration. But we've also learned a lot about COVID-19. We know much more about how to prevent it and also how to live with it. We know that restrictions help to prevent spread, and we also know that they have unintended consequences like placing stress on, on our individual and collective mental health and our economy. We know that personal protective measures also work to keep us safe. And these are things that are within each of our control and relatively easy to do. We know that we have high vaccination rates, as I've talked about, and we're starting to get booster doses into arms with a plan to give one to every Nova Scotian uh, who wants one on an appointment in January or February. And at the same time, we're continuing to offer first and second doses to adults and, um, and uh, first and starting to be soon second doses for children five to 11. So when we look at all these facts, it's clear to me and hopefully clear to many others that our response to the Omicron variant can't be the same response that we had in wave one, two or three. We are in a different place. And we're asking people to do things and uh, accept approaches that may feel uncomfortable uh, because they are different from what we've done in the past two years. Fact check, Mr. Strang, or sorry, Dr. Strang. Uh, yes. The Omicron variant, you know, and this, this wave is much, much different than any wave we've had. The first two waves of the pandemic here in Nova Scotia, if you look at the graphs from the government, they were kind of like a little bump. 
they weren't really that large. The third wave, that was that was pretty big. When Delta came here, that was much bigger. Omicron is exponentially larger by, by sheer numbers than any of the previous waves, okay? The, the numbers are, are exponentially larger. Um, but when he says that we are asking people to, to accept, you know, things that are different, uh, and, and the restrictions, there's actually less restrictions now than what there was before. I mean, before you were not like Dr. Strang would, would not allow you to leave your County. You know, if you went from Kings County to Hans County, you could get a fine. You know, my, um, my wife had asked about going to the butcher shop. Sorry, dear. We can't go to the butcher shop because we'd have to cross into another County. And that's, you know, I don't want to get arrested or get a fine for doing it kind of thing. Um, I would probably be fine, but, um, you know, things are much more relaxed now than what they were. The Omicron wave will pass through and we will move, uh, move forward to living with COVID-19, but we do need to do it cautiously and in a way that minimizes overall harms, both from the virus itself and the actions we take to slow it down. You, it's about balance, a word I use uh, frequently. So I want to talk about uh, part of that moving forward. I, I want to talk about changes to isolation for positive cases and close contacts. This is going to be interesting. Our advice we'll is changing. Our approach is changing in response to what we're learning about Omicron. In a nutshell, for most people, starting uh, on Friday, this coming Friday, both the isolation period for positive cases Five and days. close contacts will be shortened. Evidence shows that the Omicron variant has a shorter incubation period than with the original strain. And the majority of transmission happens in the early part of the illness, generally one to two days before a positive test or symptoms begin, and then the first two to three days after. To be safe, we are landing on changing the isolation period for most people who get COVID-19 from 10 days down to seven days. Okay, not quite and the I same as most the Americans. Because vaccination status matters and matters a lot. Of course People who are fully vaccinated, that's at least two doses of vaccine and children under 12. Uh, and the reason we say children under 12 is that they have not yet had time to get two doses. So those people will be required to isolate for seven days following the start of symptoms or a positive test. And if they're asymptomatic or their symptoms are improving and they have no fever for the past 24 hour, hours, they can leave isolation after just now seven days. Previously, it was 10 days. But those who are not fully vaccinated or who, who meet our criteria for moderate to severe immune compromise will still be required to isolate for the full 10 days. So in the United States, uh, the CDC decided that they were going to reduce uh, the time to five days. We're reducing it to seven days here in Nova Scotia. I would have to consult with a medical professional on the logic behind this. Um, my own layman understanding of, of it is what he's basically saying is that you can still have COVID-19, but because you're vaccinated, you basically get a, 
um, Monopoly reference. Get out of jail free card a couple of days before somebody who isn't vaccinated. So I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to have to talk to somebody in the medical field. I'm going to have to ask somebody who actually knows how this works. Um, it just, the reasoning behind it. I mean, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Um, maybe the vaccine has an effect on how long you're contagious for, but if the data shows that you only need to isolate for 10 days because that's how long you're contagious. Um, we need to know, is that specific on being vaccinated or unvaccinated, or is that just regardless of vaccination status? So we, we need to have clarification on that one because if it, if it is dependent on vaccination status, then I would say, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But if it's one of those things where no, regardless of vaccine status, um, the virus is, you know, here's your window for transmissibility, then I, I, I don't think that's right to restrict people based on, uh, based on their status if the science doesn't back it up. So that, that's something that we need to question. Now I want to talk about some changes to the isolation period for close contacts. Okay. And we know that having close contacts isolate is creating huge impacts on the, on our workforce. Oh, very uh, But I, so I feel at this stage that this is where we can make some changes. I, I, I got to jump in here again. And I apologize for interrupting again. Um, a very good friend of mine has had to go into isolation because she was a close contact of, um, of someone who, who was infected with COVID-19 and because it took so long for her to get notified that she was a close contact of somebody who had tested positive, um, her entire family, her husband and her kids, they all had to just kind of quarantine together because it took, um, I, I don't remember the exact time, but it took at least a week or more for her to find out, um, so that is, that is definitely of some concern, the amount of time that you may have to wait because you could potentially expose someone um, and not even know it. I mean, if you're a close contact, you don't know it, you're never notified, um, that's an issue. That's, that's, that's an issue. To alleviate uh, some of this pressure uh, that is happening in sectors across the province. It will present some increased risk from COVID, but but given that we're seeing mostly mild, relatively mild illness, I feel that's an mild acceptable risk that good. will help minimize uh, the overall impacts this wave is having on on people, families, and 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 almost every sector um, of business in our economy. This is another step towards living with COVID. And again vaccination status matters when we're talking about uh, the isolation for close contacts. If you're a close contact uh, and are fully vaccinated or, or again are under 12 and you have no symptoms, you no longer need to fully uh, isolate until you have a negative test. You need to stay at home as much as possible, but you can attend work or school if it cannot be done virtually. 
all other contacts with people outside your household and outings uh, need to be avoided uh, wherever possible. Get someone to pick up groceries or prescriptions, but we do know that there are a small, you know, some people who cannot. And, and, and if you absolutely have nobody to help you out, then it is acceptable to do those, the, the, meet those essential other needs. And if you are going out, whether it's to work, school. Friendly word of advice. Um, if you know someone like a neighbor or someone or someone in your community that has COVID-19 and they are self-isolating and you know for a fact that they're going to have to go to your grocery store to buy groceries, you know, if you're on, if you know them, then say, hey, you know what? Send me an email transfer, send, send me an email transfer for your groceries. I'll go pick them up and drop them off at your door. Um, if they want to go out and go for a walk, I really don't care. They they have a right to leave their home. But if you know somebody who's struggling or, or somebody who's just afraid to leave because of this, you know, offer them some help. You know, put yourself out there and say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll go pick up. Let me know what you need. I'll go pick it up. I'll drop it off. You know, if they want to transfer you the money or they want to leave you cash, you know, do something to help the people in your community. We've had enough damage to our communities because of this pandemic. So we need to start, you know, building, building a better community out of this. Uh, always wear a mask properly fitted and keep your distance from others as much as you can. These new rules apply to close household contacts. If the COVID case that they live with can fully isolate away what? from the rest of the household. And then they also apply to close contacts uh, of non-household cases. For example, two people who work together or people that were uh, at a social uh, kind of gathering together. So except for going to work or school, you, if you meet these criteria, you need to stay home and isolate. And you need to then uh, have a negative test at, uh, at least 72 hours after the exposure. It's a little different if you are a household contact of a case who cannot fully isolate for example you have young children or it's a it's a crowded household and, and people just cannot fully the case cannot fully isolate in these cases the close contacts will have to isolate for the same amount of time as the positive case and test every three to four days including a test on the last day of isolation if all these tests are negative you can end isolation on the same day that the case does if you're an unvaccinated or partially vaccinated close contact, or again, you, you meet the criteria for moderate to severe immune compromise uh, and have not, if you're in those, that immune compromise uh, definition and have not yet had your third dose uh, and all those groups who don't have symptoms, you still have to isolate for seven days after your exposure. And you can only leave isolation when you get a negative test on or after the seventh day. In any circumstances, regardless of vaccine status, if a close contact develops symptoms, they then have become a possible case and have to fully isolate and follow testing requirements. This is a lot of new information and we know it's complex and it's going to take uh, some time for people to understand all the changes that we've made uh, in the last few weeks. So we're working as quickly as possible to update the information we have online 
So that's an accurate source uh, of information on exactly what to do in specific cir circumstances and uh, situations. I know for many people, this is a confusing time. We need to acknowledge that things are changing off and nothing seems straightforward and it's tough to keep track of all the new rules. On top of the changing information, there is a lot of anxiety and, and demands, especially for testing. The, but the reality is that we do not have unlimited resources, whether it's for tests, for vaccine, or for people uh, to, uh, to, to uh, run those services or other healthcare services. We are doing the best to manage access to testing, vaccine delivery, managing uh, cases and contacts, and caring for people who are sick. Being, and I I'm unfortunately have to say this yet again today, being rude and disrespectful to healthcare workers trying to do their jobs is not the way to respond. Yeah, don't don't be rude. None and of this people. falls on them. And we've had to ask for police presence at our testing sites as, 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 as recently as today. That is just unacceptable and frankly disappointing. And, and, and I, I really feel that it's, it's uh, ridiculous that we're having to go to that extent to control people's behavior. Uh, and how they're behaving towards people who are, have gone above and beyond to provide care to them. If you do need a test, you will get one. If you need a vaccine, you will get one. And if you need care, urgent care, you will get it. But it's much more easier for everyone if we're all patient and kind to each other and follow the rules. We do need to work with the resources we have. And we need Nova Scotians to be part of that solution. The very first thing you need to do to get a test is to go online, do the self-assessment and find out if you actually are eligible for a test. And then if so, what kind of tests you need. We have far too many people just showing up at testing sites demanding to have tests and many of them are not even eligible. And uh, they're being turned away and they're being disrespectful. So help us out. Help us by taking more, uh, taking more responsibility. Being disrespectful because you're being turned away from getting a test is, is unacceptable. But here's the problem with what he just said. People are scared. Okay. People are afraid. We're seeing a huge skyrocketing number of cases. We're seeing over a thousand cases per day now. You know, when it was like under a hundred cases a day, eh. You know, if you want to get tested, whatever, right? But now we're seeing over a thousand cases a day. People are scared. And before you were, when case numbers were lower, you were telling people, you know, go get tested, go get tested. And you're, you're telling people, you know, you know, even if you're infected with COVID, still go to work. What do you think people are going to do? One minute you're saying, go get tested. And you have to test this many times the next minute, you know, don't get tested when you have no reason. Like, I, I don't know. This is, this is what's so confusing. I mean, the school sent both of my children home with, with testing kits. We've used several of them. Um, you know, just because. You know, if one of the kids, you know, how, how many times does a child wake up with a runny nose for whatever reason? You know, how many times does a kid cough? You know, kids, you know, a, a child having a runny nose is, it's, 
I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like not having air to breathe. It's just something that is there, you know, and they say in the list, you know, you get a runny nose, that could be COVID, right? So, you know, test them. So, you know, testing your children before they go to school, because the last thing you want to do is have the child go to school and be sent home. So when you've told us in the past, Dr. Strang, to go get tested, and now you're telling us not to get tested, you know, I understand case numbers are skyrocketing, but people are afraid. Okay. People are scared to death. Okay. People, people are frightened about this and we have to have better messaging. Ability to understand the information that is available as best you can. And we will do our best to help you make sure information is available and understandable. And by continuing to be honest, continuing to rely on evidence and science, and continuing to make decisions that are balanced and with a view to minimizing overall harms. Our actions and these changes are about this balance, the balance between living safely with COVID and moving forward out of the pandemic. The balance between keeping our healthcare system and essential services running and protecting vulnerable Nova Scotians, but also allowing our communities and economy to keep thriving as best as possible. We need to take all we've learned about COVID over the past two years and how to protect ourselves and adapt it to meet the challenges of this latest phase. And that's why we're making changes to how public health manages cases, who gets tested and what kind of tests they get. And then, as I've talked about, as of Friday, how long cases and close contacts need to isolate. I'll, I'll say it again, and I've said it previously, this is the most difficult stage of the pandemic. We're all ready to move on, but COVID isn't ready to let that happen just yet. The one thing that we can all rely on that has stayed consistent through this pandemic is the amazing ability that Nova Scotians have to adapt to change, to persevere and overcome. I really believe this is the last stages of the pandemic. So we let's not let things uh, go at these at this late stage. Let's stay together, be kind and caring to one another, be responsible, and we will come out the other end of this. It's Marla. Thanks, Dr. Strang. Um, again, just a reminder to reporters on the line. Uh, we have about 22 reporters okay, this, on the line today. Good. We will try to get to as many questions as we can. We will start with Natasha Pace from CTV. Go ahead, Natasha. Thank you very much. Um, I, I'm just seeing here a release was just sent out saying that restrictions that took effect on December 22nd that were supposed to expire next week will now continue until the end of the month, but no new restrictions are being added. Um, given the fact there's been thousands of new cases announced in the last few weeks, why no new restrictions? Interesting this question. Is about balance, that we know that uh, every restriction has its own set of significant impacts. Uh, we have a, a, a disease that's very widespread. Um, and and uh, how much further do we go with before with locking everybody down, which I do not believe that, that the, the impacts of that are substantive. So we have to move forward finding that balance. Um, and, and we feel that where we're at right now is we still have a good balance. And we're asking Nova Scotians to help us out with that by doing everything they can do 
to, to play their part and take on their responsibility by following the re restrictions that are in place and adhering to the all the actions that they take based on the public health measures. Uh, and we'll watch things. Uh, and, and if we need to go further, we will. But we're very cognizant that further restrictions come with significant impacts on their own. Go ahead, Natasha, if you have a follow-up. I do. Um, perhaps for the Premier, I, I understand that the Nova Scotia Paid Sick Leave Program will launch on Monday. Um, can you tell us a bit about this program? Who qualifies? How many days um, are Nova Scotians eligible to draw from this program? Yeah, thank you. So that's that's look, we're the program is consistent with last time um, in in all the criteria. People may be familiar with it from last time. So, but look, as Dr. Strange said, we're just trying to find the balance of how do we we know that um, the restrictions have an impact on people. We want to support people through that process. We want to do that um, in conjunction with the the programs that the federal government have out there. So. We're going to get through. We're going to get through COVID. You know, um, Dr. Strang didn't didn't mention, but obviously we're delaying the start of school. So we're 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 adapting and making the changes that we feel are necessary to keep Nova Scotians safe, and we'll do what we can to support them uh, through that process. And one of them is that paid that paid sick leave program, which it's consistent with last time. People will be familiar with that. Next, we'll go to Gareth Hampshire from CBC. Go ahead, Gareth. Thank you. Um, Premier, the delay to school, what impact do you think that uh, move could have on the availability of frontline staff who might now need to stay at home for that extra week with their children, given there are already big staffing challenges? Yeah, so certainly that's the, you know, we're, we're, we're very conscious of that as well. And this is one of the, you know, that's why I said these are tough decisions, uh, for sure, for a lot of reasons, the impact on children, the impact on families, and you, you've highlighted one of them for sure. Um, but we, we have to weigh all this stuff up. And, and we just we just look at the amount of COVID we have in our communities. Um, look, look, look at what government can do to, to uh, we believe our schools are safe, but to make them even safer, uh, to increase the public confidence. So uh, I do apologize to those, uh, those families and, and some of which are, are you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's from very traumatic when the school challenge and when the school calendar changes, they just don't have the means or the access to childcare. It has a huge impact on families and, and some of them are frontline uh, responders. So it has an impact, we accept that, uh, but we, we have to do what we, what we believe is right in the interest of the, of the general public. Go ahead, Gareth, if you have a follow-up. Thank you. Dr. Strang, now that the testing is not really giving us a true picture of the virus out there, do you think public health should move to wastewater testing to monitor the COVID-19, given that we now know that Omicron was detected in wastewater by Dalhousie researchers in November? Oh, okay. Um, there's an issue with that. Um, boys, if I could find the... Uh, can find the article here this is why i need uh more monitors up here um it was locally it was it was locally uh ah here it is uh let me see here back in Global News reports uh, COVID-19 detected in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, wastewater in experimental research on uh, November 27th of 2020. 
I, I remember this because people were panicking. Um, the town of Wolfville says new research has detected coronavirus in the town's wastewater. In October, Fredericton-based company um, Lumen Ultra filed a patent for technology that it says can help provide quick and easy detection of COVID-19 in a community. The community, alongside researchers at Dalhousie University, say testing sewage uh, is portable. Uh, says, uh, yeah, it says testing sewage is portable and less costly than traditional laboratory testing. Um, they partnered with Acadia University to conduct research on Wolfville's municipal wastewater system. In a release on Friday, the town of Wolfville stated COVID-19 was detected in its sewage. This research is still experimental, so can't be considered definitive, but it could be a signal that COVID-19 is present in our community, um, read the release. So let me see here. Um, came from one of the tests conducted the previous week. Um she says this week's test did not show COVID-19. So it was there. And then the next week it wasn't there. Um, let me see here. Going to have to definitely change up the format for reading these, uh, for reading these news articles. But uh, I remember that because they had pop-up rapid testing in Wolfville um, when that happened. So that was, that was something that everybody was, quite legitimately uh, afraid of and um you know this this is back in november of 2020 the end of november of 2020 so we have to we have to think about whether or not this technology was experimental then and the results were completely inconsistent we have to ask ourselves is it better now Actually, that's uh, when we've actually had conversations with uh, the researchers and what it turned out, they were de detecting the alpha variant. They actually weren't detecting Omicron. So it's still a research tool that has yet to be validated uh, in many okay, ways. Good, so good. Uh, we continue to have conversations with the re researchers, but there's a lot of. So he, he's he's saying here, I'll just reiterate it. He's saying, I'll just move the down so I can read. It is still a research tool that has yet to be validated so they they were doing the tests initially in um the end of 2020 we're now in 2022 and yeah sometimes this the science takes time so it's good that he is acknowledging that it is uh it has yet to be validated that's a that's a very very honest way to put it questions and, and, and from a public health perspective we don't feel that it's yet at a point where we can accurately use it as a surveillance tool good good next we'll go to alexa mclean from global go ahead alexa thank you tina uh, premier houston uh natasha my colleague brought up the paid sick leave program that launches january 10th i'm just wondering why this wasn't launched earlier because of the current wave we're in pardon me the uh, new program will be retroactive to December 20th, which is several weeks after this wage start or wave 
started. And uh, many Nova Scotians don't have any access to paid uh, sick leave time. So why wasn't this program uh, relaunched sooner? Good question. Well, I mean, we, we're, we're responding to a lot of things that are happening. Um, so we're, we're responding to things as quickly as we can. And I, I appreciate um, and I, I feel sympathy for, you know, the impact on, on families of, of the restrictions that we have to impose and the changes that have to happen. There's broad, broad, uh, a broad range of impact. And, and I, I feel those very personally. Uh, but, we're, you know, we will implement these programs. Uh, we'll constantly look at what we can do um, better, what we can do more of, and how we can be there to support Nova Scotians, keeping Nova Scotians safe and supporting them through this is, our, is, our, is the only objectives that, uh, that we have. Go ahead, Alexa, with your follow-up. Thank you. I'm just wondering, given the widespread impact of this wave on, on workforce isolation requirements, uh, Dr. Strang, can you outline the specific reasons why seven isolation days is the, is the new timeline uh, in, instead of five? So, and so let's, let's be clear, that is for people who are cases for seven days down from 10. Uh, when you look at the evidence on that, it's actually very clear that seven is a, uh, up, up, you know, seven days is really the end of, uh, of the vast majority of people for uh, being infectious to others. When you go below seven days, the, there's still an increasing chance of, uh, of people being infectious. So we felt for cases that seven days was actually a, a, a safe a place to land. What we've all been, and that's in in a part of a bigger package. But what we're also doing is saying that the the many many more people who are close contacts, if they're as I outlined in general, if they're fully vaccinated or under twelve and they don't have any symptoms, that the vast majority of the close contacts can now uh, return to work and school while, while following distancing and masking protocols. That will have a huge impact uh, positively on uh, on some of the, the, the significant workforce pressures that are happening. But that does introduce some risk. So we, we along with that, with that change, we felt it reasonable to land on a much on a safer seven days than five days for cases. Next, we'll go to Danielle Edwards from the Canadian Press. Go ahead, Danielle. Actually, Dan Danielle's uh, replaced by Michael Tutton from the Canadian Press today, so I can take it if you like. Here. Yes, I can. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Dr. Strang, um, in terms of the 45 who are uh, hospitalized, uh, and in, uh, I think it was eight in ICU, are, do they all, are they all a result of Omicron, and if not, can you break out, you know, how many are Delta or, or others so we can just get a sense of uh, whether Omicron is behind uh, the small increase uh, so far? In, this this uh, is a good cases. question. We, yeah, we don't have that data. We're not, all our specimens are not sent for validation to the national lab. We only do a you know, a portion of specimens to kind of keep track about what percentage of our specimens are, are Omicron versus other strains. So we don't have, uh, you know, strain information on every hospitalized case. Go ahead, Mike, with your follow-up. Uh, do you have any models in place um, to show uh, when you sort of anticipate the peaking of, uh, of this wave? Roughly, and if so, when? And um, any models to indicate what percentage of Omicron cases end up in hospital or ICU? Do you have any knowledge of that yet? 
Another good so question. We have a model looking at hospitalizations that we're working this week to refine that model. Uh, what we're seeing, if you look at our, our lab confirmed cases plus estimates of the number of people who are testing positive with rapid tests, that our percentage hospitalization is probably you know 0.2 to 0.3%. Uh, so very low risk of people ending up in hospital. Uh, but I, I have to kind of have to make the point that that the the risk of people unvaccinated people uh, ending up in hospital is much greater than vaccinated. Recent data from Ontario shows that if you're uh, unvaccinated, you're six more times more likely to be in hospital, 21 more times likely to be in the ICU. You know, I just have to make that point that it's important that people continue to get vaccinated. Um, we, we are looking at, uh, as I said, we got that modeling that we're refining on the hospitalizations. Uh, really how we, uh, the, the, how this wave plays out uh, really depends a lot on, uh, on people following the restrictions we have in place, taking the responsibility of following those personal protective measures. It's everybody doing what they can do to help slow down the spread. Next, we'll go to John McVie from the Chronicle Herald. Go ahead, John. Okay. Thank you. Uh, this is for uh, Dr. Strang. We're being called that, uh, tri that triple layer mask, three-ply masks are the best protection against the Omicron variant, but they're pretty hard to find. I'm just wondering, uh, do we have any they plans are hard to, find. to address that and perhaps get some supplies in? Can the province do that kind of program? So uh, I'm not personally aware of any uh, shortages around three-ply masks. Uh, we certainly are procuring question. a supply of uh, three-layered cloth masks and to be having those available for, uh, for uh, schools. And um, um, my, my discussion with our procurement people has not indicated at all that there's any shortage of, of, any, of, uh, of whether it's the three-ply cloth masks or medical masks. Go ahead, John, with your follow-up. Thank you. Uh Okay, so I got I got to butt in here again. Um, just before um, we go on here, uh, if you go to the Gap, um, thegap.ca, I'm just looking at their website here. They say variety five pack of triple layer uh, cloth uh, pleated face masks for adults with ear adjusters is uh, fifteen dollars for uh, for five masks and. Yes, they say that they only have a few left on their website. The uh, the colors and patterns, not too bad. Um, you can also hear, I'm looking on Amazon, uh, $14.99 for a pack of four beige uh, premium reusable uh, triple layer masks. So they are out there. You're just going to have to put in a little bit of extra effort to uh, to find them. Uh, this is a question for the Premier. We're hearing that a lot of schools don't have proper ventilation systems and require quite a bit of work. I'm just wondering how that can be rectified in just a week. It can. I guess um, <laughs> a lot is a relative term, um, but there's certainly there's 71 schools uh, out of almost 400, so I guess that's a significant amount. But, you know, the plan is a plan similar to what Newfoundland did. Uh, we're going we're gonna to procure units that will go into the classrooms and they're their HEPA filter uh, units, and, and they'll be plugged in in the classroom. So That's we know solution, the supply chain disruptions. People see that. A lot of things they're trying to, to buy. So, but, but all that being said, we're being told from... 
putting putting a HEPA filter in in a classroom is not an excuse. Schools have a problem with their design. They have a problem with ventilation that needs to be fixed and spending thousands or even potentially millions of dollars on putting a HEPA filter in a classroom that's not going to fix the problem is is just it is it is a way to make people think that the government is actually fixing the problem because they're not a HEPA filter I mean don't get me wrong HEPA filters are amazing but I can go to Canadian Tire and buy a HEPA filter for my house you know they're limited in square footage they're limited in how much air they move and if we're talking about the potentiality of having you know COVID-19 infected people in the classroom because they're not allowed to take paid sick days or they have to go back to work, there's a lot more chance of it being spread. And honestly, I, I think this is, this is just a, them, them putting a bandaid over a major wound and saying, look, we did something, you know, this is, this is not, sorry, Mr. Premier, that's not a solution from the supplier that they can be delivered within a week and, and once they're delivered here we can get them to the schools and get them into the classrooms and we're optimistic that we can have the majority of those spaces um, have a have a have a filtration system a new ventilation HEPA filter system in them um, by by the end of next week but you know it's the supply chain we're, we're, we're there's a lot of factors that have to have to go but we can only go by what the, what, we, what the suppliers indicated and that's that they can be can be there by next week Next, we'll go to Adrian Blanc, Radio-Canada. Go ahead, Adrian. Thank you. Um, Premier, how many rapid test kits are expected for Nova Scotia? And um, that may be a question for Dr. Strang as well. Will they be used in schools where students could be required to test regularly? Yeah, so um, I, I don't have the exact cumulative number of what you know, I know the federal government made an announcement this morning. You know, we'll, we'll be we'll be wanting an allocation there. I know our minister is talking to the federal minister on that. Um, you know, early in December, maybe late November, we we'd ordered a few million uh, tests, which we had expected to to have by the by the end of December. They're not they're not here yet. So. Um, but the distribution plan, certainly, we want to have those test kits available in schools, uh, so teachers and students, we're, we're, working, we're working hard on that. We're using the, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Cape Breton and the Family Resource Centers, uh, libraries, other distribution channels. We want, we want people to, to make sure that they, they have access to tests as needed. And I'll go back to what Dr. Strang said, you know, we're, we're, there's a criteria. Um, when you when you need to be tested and you meet the criteria, you will be tested in this province. We we have had, you know, we've been good testers in Nova Scotia, and we we've tested just as a matter of our ordinary uh, schedule. You know, people were getting tested every week or a few days. That was what we they were being asked to do, uh, and they did it. And we led the nation in that, and it was good because it gave us good good data on COVID activity in our communities. Now we're at a different phase. You know, the world's different. This variant is different. And now we're asking Nova Scotians to uh, to be conscious of the fact that there are limited test kits. You see that in all kinds of jurisdictions have of limitations on, on supply. We're no different. Uh, we have some in the works to get here. We want to get them into schools. We want to get them into into libraries. But if you need to be tested, 
you will be able to get a test. We just ask people not just to, to show up at the distribution centers, just wanting a test, just because wanting to, you know, get a few just to have around the house. We, you know, we're, we're past, we're not at that stage right now. We're just not. It's a different, it's a different world. It's a different variant. So we just ask people earlier. to be patient, but I assure Nova Scotians, mm. uh, we are working to get more test kits here. Um, and I assure Nova Scotians, if you need a test, you will be able to get it. And if you need medical care, you will be able to get it. But just, uh, but just, just please work with us, work with your friends, your neighbors, your communities uh, to keep everybody safe. But if you need a test, you can get it. We, we have lots, lots ordered and coming, and we'll get those distributed just as soon as they get here. Go ahead, Adrian, with your follow-up. And uh, when will you decide if remote learning, like um, learning from home, uh, will be maintained for another week or not? Uh, well, so we delayed the in-person learning, except for the learning centers, until the 17th. Um, we're asking for online learning to take place as much as possible next week. Um, and and, but the goal is to get kids in schools for the for for all of the reasons that that I laid out. We know how important it is that kids uh, are are in school. Uh, for for many Nova Scotians, school is the place where kids are safe. It's the place where kids are warm. It's even the place where they get their meals, and that's a sad reflection of our society. But it is we My can't ignore it. It is what it is. We want kids in schools, uh, not to mention the social aspects and and everything that goes along with that. And I know teachers want want to want to be there to support those students as well, and they want to do that in a safe environment. So, so we've delayed it a week, um, but the goal is to get our schools open to in-person learning to do it in a way that is safe uh, for all those working in the school environment um, and for all of those that, that are there attending class. We want them to, to know that they have a high degree of confidence that they're safe, but we want them in school and the goal is to do that on the 17th. Next we'll go to Paul Bacon from allnovascotia.com. Go ahead, Paul. Paul oh, Bacon, nice. Uh, Dr. Strang, you mentioned you really believe we're in the last stages of the pandemic. Can you tell us why you believe that? I think there's a lot of public health experts and uh, epidemiologists that look at that is likely that, you know, um, uh, you, you look at the pattern of pa past pandemics, the timeline, uh, as well as, you know, how the Omicron strain is behaving, that uh, many people are on the same page that, you know, the Omicron will be the path out uh, of, 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 of the pandemic. Um, uh, and, you know, as we get to spring, uh, you know, and part of that is, is continue to have high vaccine coverage rates. Part of it is as we get, you know, the spring that uh, uh, people are outdoors more and we, we see natural seasonal cycles with respiratory viruses. Um, but, you know, looking at all those factors and the, and the, the normal history of pandemics, uh, you know, nobody has a completely 100% accurate crystal ball, but a lot of people are feeling that you know as we as we move through the next uh, couple of months and then into spring that that is the way out of the pandemic go ahead paul with your follow-up and, and premier houston just before christmas uh prime minister justin trudeau was praising nova scotia's widespread testing strategy it seems that you've had to minutes. abandon that because you can't get enough tests from the federal government if i'm understanding you correctly uh, no, I don't think that's uh, a really a fair um, characterization. We're we're certainly adapting. Uh, the the new variant, the pandemic, has shown has shown people you have to be nimble. You have to move, be able to adapt and, and change as as the facts in front of you uh, dictate necessary. 
we're looking at the situation we're in, uh, and we're not unique. It's not unique here whatsoever. You know, there are supply chain issues with testing kits for sure, uh, but nothing has changed in the in the sense that when you when you need a test, you'll be able to get it. We've just we were just we we talked before about you know the widespread testing, the asymptomatic testing. It was really important um, at, at a certain point in the pandemic to understand the amount of COVID in our in our communities. Um, we don't need that level of surveillance right now to know there's a lot of COVID in the communities. There is a lot of COVID around that every Nova Scotian should accept that reality. We don't need asymptomatic testing to prove it out. So, so we're adapting. We're looking at what's in front of us and we're saying, we, we're there, you know, when you, when you meet a certain criteria, you have to get a test and we will make sure you get that test. But in terms of widespread testing, just let, you know, the, the world is, is changing. Uh, Nova Scotians are, are, are nimble and, and realistic, and we just ask them to change to change with us. Um, so, but if you need a test, you'll get it. If you need medical care, you'll get it. We're watching very, very closely, uh, and and the 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 plan, the changes, the restrictions we're making, they're all based on the best information we have, the best data we have, the best science we have. There's a lot of high so. quality people uh, analyzing this day in and day, day out. Um, and so the plan, Nova Scotians should have great confidence in, in the plan and the ability of the team developing the plan. I know I certainly do. So we're not abandoning testing, but we're certainly adapting to what's in front of us. Next, we'll go to Nicole Sullivan from the Cape Breton Post. Go ahead, Nicole. Thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the volunteers. Um, I know we've got... I'm, I'm assuming more volunteers have signed up since Monday, but at that point it was over 1,600. I'm wondering if you could give us an idea of how many of those are, are signing up from the island, from Cape Breton, um, and how many would be being used here? Um, we can get you that number, and I apologize, I don't have that breakdown. I think... Um I think I got updated on the fly last time when I had in my mind that there was over a thousand and I think just during the briefing we learned that that was way up over 1600 so I do want to thank those uh, Nova Scotians across the entire province um, who are who are stepping up to help out it is much so I'm about uh, 15 minutes behind here I'm just gonna come ahead they're, they're asking a lot of good questions um let's just Oh, and that appears to be the end, so. It's not unique here whatsoever. You know, there are supply chain issues with testing kits, for sure. Volunteers, um, I know we've got, I'm, I'm assuming more volunteers have signed up since Monday, but at, the at that point it was over 1,600. I'm wondering if you could give us an idea of how many of those are, are signing up from the island, from Cape Breton, um, and how many would be being used here? Um, uh, we can get you that number, and I apologize, I don't have that breakdown. I think uh... so. I, I know I skipped around there for a bit. So basically, right now we're we're in the process of um, of they're, they're, they they were answering questions. We'll cancel. Um, oh, Ted Cruz. <laughs> um, they were answering questions about um, COVID-19 and, and some of the government policies so far. Um, honestly, I, I think we all need to, we need to pay close attention to what's being said. We need to pay close attention to the data. So 
if you want to keep a, a track on this instead of relying on uh, on other sources, um, I, I get all of my information directly from the Nova Scotia government. Uh, this the stream is coming directly from their YouTube channel. So um, make sure make sure you go on there to their YouTube channel um, and, and check it out. They do have the recordings every day. Um, just make sh- make sure you do what you need to do to to make sure you're basing all of your stuff and all of your decisions on the the correct uh, the correct information. So I am going to be signing off. Um, it is about quarter after four. Um, not much sense in listening to all of the other questions through media. Some of the questions are good. Some of them you, you expect to have that answer. Um, as far as everything goes today, we broadcasted on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch for the first time. So over the next couple of days, I may not be doing these live streams every day. We are going to start doing some videos on demand. I'm scheduling, I've been uh, using my phone here to schedule an interview. Uh, so I'm going to be talking to someone in the uh, the education system to talk about the real issues that they're having. And uh, I, I've reached out to a, a couple of people in the medical profession to, uh, to see if they want to give their input on it as well. So thank you for tuning in. My name is Joshua Eaton, and this has been your TLDR Press live stream for January the 5th of 2022, (laughs) 2022. Have yourself a wonderful afternoon.